1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: Quick word from today's sponsor, Nick of The Pod, and that is Fulton. Uh, They're a modern brand of arch support Nick, you're going to tell me all about insoles and support. So hit me with it. What do I need to know about insoles and support?
1: First and foremost, man, your feet are important. You know, you are standing on your feet all day. Even if you're walking around the house, as we all do, working from home, I'm always in the pursuit of comfortable shoes or at the very least insoles to help my feet out. Art support is important you Know, I've had plantar fasciitis in the past, so anything I can do to get my feet to feel comfortable, I'm all in. So, what I mean, I mean you tell me about an insult, I'm already listening, I'm already getting ready to put the promo code in. So, do your magic, Mike. You got to tell me more about this.
2: Well, I mean, first off, I didn't know you were training for the NFL draft where well, you there got plantar is. fasciitis there over there. What's wow. going on over there? Oh wow, man, well, I mean, this. you're the one hurting with the foot stuff, Well, listen, folks. <laughs> Fulton has launched the most comfortable, supportive and sustainable insult on the planet. Okay, I believe him, even though the copy tells me it, but I still believe him because Fulton believes wellness starts from the ground up and that the feet are the foundation of our bodies. Nick just mentioned it. It is true. You know, it's funny that you said that because i like to stand i have a standing desk i love standing at the countertop my wife knows this all the time she's like why don't you sit down and it's it's true your feet are nations of your body fulton installs they offer they offer comfortable arch support to align your body from head to toe mitigating pain providing comfort and improving posture nick this is this is great for you i think this is right up your alley this fulton stuff you, you got to check Absolutely. this stuff out so Absolutely. Fulton. Fulton is creating a world where the shoes we wear are actually good for our bodies, providing you with a sturdier foundation for a healthier, oh my God, for a healthier future. We're gonna keep that in there though, folks. Future Feet, F word, you got this. Yeah, seriously, there's way too much alliteration going on here. So Fulton is offering our listeners $10 off your next purchase. All you gotta do is go to walkfulton.com, walkfulton.com, you hit the promo code podcast10, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, 10. For those of you that can't spell, I mean, come on, you got to know that podcast 10, it's not that hard. You get $10 off at walkfulton.com. If I could get it out properly, check out the website and see how Fulton can support you. Nick, you heading over there right now?
1: I'm right now. I'm about to save myself a Hamilton, baby. Let's go.
2: There we go. back everybody to another episode of the can we please talk podcast as always i'm mike leon and i'm nick saverian folks we've got a fantastic show for everybody today we've got a fantastic topic that i think but first nicholas my friend how are you sir
1: i'm i'm tired man <laughs> <laughs> Just a, coming yeah, out right
2: with it. Your of time, of course.
1: It's been a day, man. My my wife's working today, so I'm 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 working as well because obviously I'm full time. But right. I also got my you know two little babies at home. You know, one's not so much a baby; she's six years old. But between her and virtual school, and I've got the actual baby who's 14 months and you know some more teeth coming in. It's wild, man. It's wild yeah. up in here. So it's been a day. So I'm looking forward to again a little bit of time to rest up at some point and get ready for the madness again tomorrow how you doing
2: i'm, I'm doing good i think that's what people don't understand you know the two of us uh, we both have daytime jobs families uh so mm-hmm. both of our offices are still virtual nobody mm-hmm. is returning so you know you got the craziness at home and then you and i you know venture off in the evenings where we record and have guests on and things like that so it's almost like Oh, we've got a full daytime uh, packed, action packed, and then we get into our nighttime programming. <laughs> and that's you and I being able to record. So I'm doing good, man, adjusting back to, to New York City and uh, got to take the... A little one out to Times Square today so she can see what Iron Man looks like or at least, uh, you know, somebody impersonating Iron Man. Now, she doesn't know the difference yet, but um, uh, she did run up to him. So uh, <laughs> I good. was like, hey,
1: at least she likes the characters. I like that.
2: Right. But I was like, let's sanitize. Uh, so um, in, as we shift into our topic for today, because I, we've got a fantastic topic for today, we're going to dive deep into it with a former friend of mine who used to work with me at MSG. But uh, we really want to touch on representation, representation in media and sports. Um, a few weeks ago, Nick found an article on the Black Girls Hockey Club. Now, if you don't know about this club, um, it's, it's a group of black women that are into the sport, you know, and there's not that much representation in the NHL. We know about this of, of the few amount of African-American players that, that play in the National Hockey League. So this group was started um, to kind of you know, gather fans together, specifically African-American women that wanted to go to games, uh, teach younger kids in, in communities of color about the game. Um, and Nick happened to find this article and he sends it to me. And I said, hey, I actually know somebody who produced that piece on them back in Madison Square Garden years ago. And that was Lakia Holmes, who's our guest for tonight. Lakia, uh has a fantastic story not only in broadcasting and media herself you know she's worked almost everywhere at NFL Network. You may have seen her on Kyle Brand's football experience show that used to air at 6 p.m. She's now at Bleacher Report as a senior producer. She's worked on Taylor Rooks' show on Bleacher Report. She's worked on Untold Stories, if you follow them on Instagram. So a lot of the pieces where uh, they're telling stories with Terrell Owens, that was her producing and editing those pieces. So she's going to tell us not only about her career and journey in broadcasting from the lens of what it is to be an african-american female in today's broadcast world but the real story about the representation and what the black girls hockey club wants to do in terms of you know getting uh, minorities and communities of color more involved in sports that they're not typically known for uh nick i know you love uh obviously this topic you i just mentioned that you you found this article about them and thought it was so fascinating and how can we get the on or somebody from the group so so give us your take a little bit about the overall topic and theme yeah i mean i am always drawn to just stories about about
1: subcultures you know just groups of people that come together for a common cause um, that we normally wouldn't expect so you know here i am reading this article about a group of black women who are just drawn to the sport of hockey and and i'm in Uh, you know from standpoint representation as as a brown person specifically you know i'm indian you know, where there's an opportunity to see more people of color being represented in, you know, popular culture, be in sports and what have you. you know, I'm always passionate about that. So when I read this piece, I'm just blown away. I like, A, this, this group sounds amazing. B, they're doing incredible work. Um, and that's, you know, one of the reasons Mike, you and I started the show was to, to bring to light really interesting people and really interesting stories. And when I read that, I said, we got to talk to these folks. You know, somehow we got to find out more about about um, the BGHC, you know, Black Girls Hockey Club and hear more about how this group came up, came about. What has been the impact of that of, of the group on the sport? You know, we saw actually last year when a lot of sport, a lot of professional sports organizations took a pause from from playing games, you know, to recognize police brutality. And the NHL was, to their credit, a league that you wouldn't necessarily think would get brought into a conversation of social social injustice but they st- they stood up <clears throat> or more specifically they took a knee and recognized injustice and wanted to bring light to that you know for a sport that has very low representation of people of color specifically black people to see that the the league recognized the importance of of being a part of that dialogue was awesome to see and as a person who who's a very very casual hockey fan you know to hear specifically about about black women into the, getting into the sport or being a you know part of the sport and already starting to travel to different you know facilities stadiums and meet players there's something really powerful about people of color finding a space where previously representation is not, has not is not been in place and being able to be able to represent themselves i think that means a lot to the organization and it means a lot to casual fans like myself to see to see non white people getting engaged into a sport that previously didn't feel like a space People of color,
2: yeah, no, you it's it's well said because, um, as somebody you know, Hispanic male myself, I'm very big into hockey, I'm a diehard Islanders fan. Not that many Hispanics that, uh, obviously are in the National Hockey League, first and foremost, but uh, even fewer that are probably into the game. Um, obviously, we're known for baseball and other. Former sports, but it's um, it is one of the things that Halle Ledbetter, that, that was on our program a while back. You know, the former um, golfer, uh, collegiate golfer, national champion golfer, and she's at Golf Digest now, telling these type of stories as well uh, for you know African Americans and minorities that have gotten into golf. And she said it's one of those things where uh, if people don't see it, they think, well, then it's not for me because there's nobody that looks like me that's in it. And so I love the story of what the Black Girls Hockey Club do. It, is doing. Uh, I also love what Lakia has done in media and and television. And, you know, uh, I've I've worked with her for years. I've known her for a long time. So super proud of what she's been able to accomplish in her career. Uh, We are so excited and can't wait to talk to her today. Nick, a quick word from our sponsor, Real Sleep. You know, the pandemic has had a tremendous impact on sleep, insomnia, and anxiety. If you're suffering from sleep issues like half the world is, well, our sponsor, Real Sleep, has developed the world's first personalized sleep solution customized to you. Nick, um, how many hours of sleep you get in there, buddy?
1: Probably about like five or six.
2: I know I know, I know anymore. I just I work late.
1: <laughs> sometimes one of the kids gets me up, man. It's uneven.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I the copy's telling me to add a story around trouble sleeping. I always have trouble sleeping. I mean, I drink a cup of coffee before I go to bed, so that could there be why but um sleeping for me you know we just moved back from miami to new york city so you go from a city where you don't really have at least where i was living in miami not a lot of noise outside now noise everywhere you know in new york city so i got trouble sleeping so i'm all in on this sponsor real sleep because unlike prescription and over-the-counter sleep aids they got a plant-based formula that works with your body to get you to sleep faster help you sleep deeper And cut down on sleep disturbances. You can even hear the the sirens that are outside of my house right now. So while sleep is solitaire, folks, you are not alone. And real sleep is here to help. That's why we're teaming up with them. Give you 20% off your next purchase. Nick, you're writing this down 20% off your next purchase. Okay. So all you gotta do, whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, go to the show notes page, click on the link that's in there. And use the promo code POD at checkout, and you'll see why Real Sleep is the last sleep product you'll ever need. All right, Nick. Like we mentioned at the top, uh, this is a good friend of mine and I hope she's still a good friend of mine after this airs. She is a senior producer at Bleacher Report. You have seen some of her work, like Untold Stories she has helped produce, Take It There with Taylor Rooks. You may have catched her on the Kyle Brand Football Experience on NFL Network. She's been in television for so long, you can hardly remember. And that is Lakia Holmes. Lakia, Mike Leon, Nick Savary, thank you so much for hopping on the program with us today.
0: Hey, how are you? How are you guys doing?
2: We're doing good. Uh, New York City is buzzing in the background for the people that can hear that. Um, I'm so appreciative of you coming on the program today because before you hopped on, we talked about uh, what the topic was going to be really about representation, not only in media, uh, but the stuff with the Black Girls Hockey Club and a piece that you produced on them Years ago. So before we dive into the topic, I, I want to ask you off the bat and, and give our audience a chance to kind of familiarize themselves with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you want to get into television, media, and producing.
0: That's a great question. My first, my earliest memories growing up is either watching sports or watching news. And so pretty much my entire childhood. I knew I wanted to go into news. And at one point, I wanted to go into like, become like a war correspondent. So a lot of my growing up is watching like World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. And so um, seeing like Christiane Amanpour, and like all those guys, um, and women down in the trenches, you know, I'm a child of the 80s. So you know, growing up watching like the Iraq war, and then you know, all of the incidents that were going on in like Yugoslavia back in those days. So that was what was originally going to be my my goal in life. And I was in college, I went to Brigham Young University and I needed some extra credits. And so a friend of mine told me about a sports broadcasting and production class. And so I was like, well, I like sports. I watch sports all the time. Um, So let me just take the class and see what that's about. And so as part of the class, we had to do 15 hours of working of work on BYU's live game broadcasts. And so that was where I could really get hands on with the production side. And so I was like, wow, well I can take my love of sports and then just do that. And so that was essentially when I made the pivot into sports broadcasting and, and production.
1: First and foremost, as a BYU, as a BYU grad, (laughs) shout out number two in the draft, Zach Wilson coming to, coming to the jets. Um, as a, you know, at BYU, the predominantly a, a white school, I mean, just to name it here. Um, what was that experience being a black woman in a predominantly white space like that at BYU?
0: Um, It was challenging at times, but it's honestly an experience that I wouldn't trade because it helped open my eyes because I'm born and raised in New York City, one of the most diverse places on the planet, basically. And so to go from that to Provo, Utah, now I will say I'm Mormon. So that helps the transition a little bit, helps make the transition a little easier but it's always weird when you're on a campus of 30 some odd thousand students and you're one of 175 black people. And so, you know, I remember my freshman year, my first semester I was in a sociology class and the chap the chapter on race and ethnicity comes up. And so you just know someone's going to say something reckless. Like it's, it's, it's like a train that you're just waiting, you know, mm. it's going to it's going to show up on time and sure enough you know some kids would make some comments and you know you you don't necessarily want to spend your entire time kind of serving as like making this a teachable moment but you kind of do find yourself in those positions where you're just trying to explain to people why certain things are offensive or insensitive and honestly there were kids at BYU who I was the first black person they had seen in person, you know, because they came from you know a small town in Idaho or Wyoming or something like that, and so they just didn't have the ex- All of their experience was was television, and so you know we talk about representation within media, and so I remember a, another freshman year incident in a geography class, and it came up that I was from New York City. And after class, this kid comes up to me and he was like, so you're from New York City, you said, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, you said you're from Harlem, right? It's like, yeah. (laughs) He goes, he was like, so have you ever been shot? And I stopped, (laughs) exactly. And so I stopped and I was like, what? He was like, well, have you ever been shot? He's like, isn't it, you know, just like, you know, you step out your door and there's just bullets whizzing past you and stuff. And it's like, I, I grew up on like a nice tree-lined street in Harlem not Baghdad like what are we talking about but again because all he's all he's seen in media is violence and just negativity and things like that and so they just automatically assume that that's what the world is like and so I, I would often find myself in moments like that where it's like no it's not like that I come I come from a pretty middle class you know neighborhood i've never i've never been shot at i've never shot anyone because that's another question that came up as part of that conversation um so it's just like opening people's eyes to things like that that is draining at times but you find yourself in those positions where you just constantly have to educate
2: look here first off i didn't know any of that. I mean, <laughs> I'm blown away by the first two answers because obviously I mentioned at the top that you and I worked together at MSG. So to know that you always wanted to work in in news journalism, which is something that I started out in, is awesome to hear. But then I've always wondered uh, what it was like for you at BYU being predominantly white school. Um, but now I want to get into, because now you start transitioning at your career, you wanted to be on camera and then you found yourself working in different sports newsrooms, for lack of a better term, from ESPN to Madison Square Garden to now Bleacher Report. Um, Has anything changed in your opinion over the years, especially just what you talked about, right? We saw the civil unrest and the social injustices that are happening uh, for the people that are watching on video. Obviously, you're wearing a Black Women Matter t-shirt for the people on audio that can't see that. So... What has changed, in your opinion, uh, over the years that you've been in media as you've gone from newsroom to newsroom? Has has it become more diverse? Are you seeing more people that look like you or do you still think that we're not there yet?
0: Uh, We've come, I think, a considerable ways in the, you know, 10 plus years since I graduated. But I think there's still so much further to go. I remember just making the transition from MSG. To Bleacher. And I think I could probably count the number of Black people, uh, let alone Black women at MSG on one hand. And when I made the transition to Bleacher, it was a lot more diverse, but it still is nowhere, I think, representative of just sports as a whole, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, how, you know, these leagues that all of these sports entities cover for the most part are majority black athletes, but you don't see that same, those same, you know, numbers when it comes to outlets who are covering the, these teams and these leagues. And so um, it's gotten better. I think everything that happened last year, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and all these companies kind of having their racial reckonings. Um, they've made it a point to, to be better about um, diversity and inclusion and, you know, starting different initiatives and really taking a look at the way um, they, they do their hiring practices and stuff like that. So they are incremental um, changes, but I think there's still so much further to go in terms of really finding that balance, not just for black people in, in media, but especially black women, I think.
1: Yeah, coming from the experience of the past year, you were just mentioning, you know, what, potential practices. There could be what shifts need to be made in the culture of, of newsrooms in general, you know, both sports and, and outside of the world of sports. What are some things that come up for you that that you feel, that you define as important to ensure that you are embracing the views and opinions of, of people of color, specifically Black women in this example? What are the things that you identify as priorities that uh, organizations can do to get better?
0: I think the biggest thing is just what where's your candidate pipeline coming from? Um, you know, I've, you know, I've gone through my fair share of, of low paying jobs and jobs that I was under I was, you know, not under qualified, overqualified for, but because of, you know, it, the business that it is, it's, you know, it's hard to to break through, you know, there were so many positions where I was just trying to get my foot in the door. And it's like, Oh, well, you're, you know, you're overqualified for this, but you know, you need more experience. To do it. And it's like, okay, well, well, which one is it? You know? And so I think it's looking at the pipelines, looking at where you're actively recruiting talent from. You know, um I'm I'm a member of the of National Association of Black Journalists, you know, it's going to um to conventions like that, you know, where you can actively find and recruit diverse voices. Um, And it's not just about, you know, just plucking someone who knows someone and you know, that familiarity. Yes, there is some value in that and, and having a connection and stuff, but it's just how broad of that net is it that you're casting. And so, you know, I think a lot of companies are taking a look at, okay, well, let's make sure that, you know, a certain percentage of our candidates fit this box. I think, you know, something similar to like the Rooney rule in the NFL, you know, where it's like, well, you have to at least interview one minority candidate. And that's a start. But ultimately, you're still seeing the same types of people being hired. And so it's just trying to change that mindset, and just finding diverse voices, different perspectives, because you know, not all people of color are monolith, you know, like, my experience as a black woman is going to be completely different from the an experience of another black woman. It's just because we're both black women, it doesn't mean we're all going to see everything the same way. So just having that diversity of thought, and opinion, can really help take your newsroom or your organization to the next level. But it's making sure that you're doing the work as an HR or, you know, as an organization to making sure that you're actively finding and reaching out to these people and saying like, Hey, we value your opinion. We have, we value what you bring to the table. And then also just making sure that you're paying those people competitively, you know, you're paying them well. So that way, you know, you can bring them in. And then also just fostering an environment where you're nurturing them to move up within the organization. You know, it's one thing to bring people in on like the ground level. But if you're not doing anything to foster their professional development and put them in positions to succeed, they're going to grow frustrated. And they're going to go to the next place where they feel like they can get that that fostering that that mentoring um and so i think those are some of the things that companies are looking at now and starting to figure out okay well what do we need to do to to be on the right side of history basically
2: speaking of diversity of thought how about some diversity of sport see what i did there
0: Oh, um, look at that. It's a little segue. It's pretty good. I,
1: I gave it a seven out of
0: ten. Yeah. That.
2: yeah. Those were, those we'll edit sure. it out. But um, so, <laughs> Lakia, you know, obviously, I didn't even mention this at the top, but you've worked at Major League Baseball as well, or at least with Major League Baseball. Um, you're into hockey. Um, and you've stumbled upon this Black Girls Hockey Club, uh, which Nick found an article about them and, and said, hey, man, I would love to talk to either the club or, 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 and I said, hey, I know somebody that's produced a piece on these women. So uh, obviously the NHL has not so much, I mean, they struggle with diversity, obviously, just by the sheer numbers of the amount of African-American or, or people of color that play the sport, but that are also in the NHL. So first tell us a little bit about the Black Girls Hockey Club, like their overall mission and goal, and, and why you wanted to do a story about them, what resonated, obviously, besides, you know, being a black woman that, that loves the sport.
0: Well, I first found out about Black Girl Hockey Club just randomly on Twitter. They were, um, the, the club's founder, Renee, she had posed a question on Twitter just kind of trying to get a gauge of just how many Black women were out there on social media who were fans. And so that was how I was first introduced and I just started following them on Twitter just, you know, I like hockey. Um, when I was working at MSG, watched a ton of hockey and really got to learn more and appreciate the game a lot more. Um, and so, you know, I'd go to Ranger games and more often than that, I'm like the only brown person in, you know, my section and things like that. And so to see a group of women who um, have you know come together on, on their own to you know create a space basically for themselves because they you know felt like they just weren't being represented broadly so they come together you know they talk hockey on social media they would have these um, meetups where you know they'll go to different games together sometimes people fly in from different cities to take part in these meetups and um, And so it was so interesting to just, again, see that sense of community. And so what happened was, was they were having a meetup in the New York area at a Ranger game. And so I just started making some calls and just saying like, hey, we'd love to just, you know, sit in with you guys on this game and do a feature and just get to to know you mourn your mission and they you know, they're doing a lot of great work, especially with grassroots initiatives and just supplying scholarships and things like that to um, young black girls across the country who want to go and play hockey and hockey is a, a very expensive sport. So that oftentimes limits, you know, black people and other people of color, just the opportunity to be able to play. Um, And so, you know, they're trying to do their part to just, you know, help foster an environment for young black girls who want to play hockey, but just don't necessarily have the resources. So there's scholarships and, you know, they've done partnerships and things with various um, teams within the league. So again, it's just fostering that sense of community and through that shared love of the game. And it's been really interesting to see just in the, you know, two and a half maybe 3 years since i first found out about them just to see how much they've grown and that's just a testament again to you know community and again you know you'll probably hear me say that word a lot during this conversation it's because you know they're strength in numbers and as black women you know we're so often find ourselves in spaces where we just don't feel like we belong And so to be able to go to a game, a a Rangers, you know, Capitals game, for example, with a bunch of people who look like you, sound like you, talk like you, have the same experiences, things like that, to be able to come together, to just watch hockey and just foster that sense of love and togetherness and community within each other has been really, really special to see
1: as you as you're reporting on the organization what was one of the most surprising things you learned in the process of developing that feature and getting to know the women
0: that they had felt unseen for so long these are people who you know there were some women who you know are new to the game who are learning about the game then you had people who've been fans nearly their entire lives and they've always found themselves as the token black person, whether it's at a game or, you know, on, you know, some at a sports bar or something to, you know, come together to watch a game or things like that. And so, you know, just, you know, to see how happy they were to have other people to just talk to, whether even it's just on Twitter, just, you know, just, you know, talking back and forth, just share. And these are women who know the game, you know, they know the game inside and out. And it was interesting being at the garden and kind of seeing them interact with people around them. And it's like, oh, wow, you really, you really do like hockey. You really do know and understand the game. And it's like, well, yeah. You know, so, um, so I think that was the biggest thing for me, just to get a sense of just how, how bonded they are through hockey. And, you know, these are professional women who love the sport and want to help grow and foster um, love for the sport and other people. And so they're, they're just using their platform in tremendous ways. And again, the, the support that they're getting from like the NHL and from the individual teams, because these teams and these leagues understand the value in that as well. And so they're doing what they can to, you know, help again, foster that sense of community, whether it's through, through certain activations that they're doing on the team level Because a lot of these teams will be like, yeah, come bring Black Girl Hockey Club to our game. We'll make it an, an incredible experience for you. You know, we'll get you behind the scenes, you know, we'll, you know, try to introduce you to some of these players. So the club is working with these team community, you know, engagement, you know, personnel and things like that to just help make the experience extra special for them. And that love is just going to just circle through their families and through their friends and then just create, again, a pipeline of hockey fans, of Black women hockey fans that's just going to hopefully continue to grow.
2: Akia, um, you know, when we, we as you were mentioning all of that, I think about what happened last summer. We talked about, you know, obviously the murder of George Floyd and all of the leagues and the stoppages. The last league to kind of... You know, do something was the NHL, and they got a lot of flack for it. And obviously, um, they have a few African American players in the league. One that's actually half Filipino and black. So, your thoughts first on what you think about when teams and leagues make statements, and do you feel like the NHL has has done enough to make it? it, Because obviously, it's the sport that's known for as being predominantly white. You know, maybe maybe Major League Baseball is right after that, but. Hockey has this you know, distinction of being predominantly white. So when that happened last summer, they took a lot of flack for not at least uh, catching up with the rest of the leagues in terms of making a message or, or, or participating in the boycott.
0: And I think we even saw just a couple of weeks ago with the verdict in relation to the Derek Chauvin trial, where again, the NHL, people are you know, criticizing the NHL for their relatively brief statement. Um, But I think that these leagues in some ways are kind of in a damned if they do damned if they don't situation. Um, And, you know, like, we can even look at the Raiders tweet that came out after After the trial verdict.
2: Look here. Why? Yeah. Why? It's a sore spot <laughs> no, for both Raiders fans. It's,
1: it's a sore spot, but it's a well, it's an important one to speak to.
2: Um, we are going to do an episode on public relations. And that's why I asked the question because uh, it feels like whenever these events happen, right? And and you just mentioned it, it's like if they don't make a statement, oh, oh, they didn't make a statement, then they right. do make a statement. And it's like, well, hey. I
0: don't like, I don't like that statement. Correct. You, 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 that statement was too short. You didn't say this specifically. You didn't. Yeah. Correct.
2: And we've seen the Rangers and Knicks get that type of heat here in New York city. So it's like, well, which one is it? If they make a statement and then it's like, do I need a team to tell me that what they saw on video of that murder was bad? Like, I know it's bad. You should already, you know, say that that's bad, but you don't, you don't have to tell me I, I I'm, I'm at a loss, but the NHO, I feel like, um, got the most flack last year, specifically because the boycotts happened all on that one day and the NHL was like, no, we're, we're playing tonight. Um, we'll do a moment of silence. And then the next day, you know, they, they, they stopped the rest of the league. So do you feel like the league is at least addressing some of those issues? Are there issues other than, you know, representation in the sport?
0: Well, I will first say, I'm not, so much a fan of the statement like show me what it is you're doing you know like what are the actions like a, a statement it's nice it's putting maybe a small band-aid over it so show me what you're doing so I think that's the first thing um so again to that to that point like these leaves are kind of damned if they do damned if they don't So I think, you know, these leagues are trying to figure it out as best as possible. But again, this is another example of representation within these teams and within these leagues in terms of having other people, other voices in the room to say, hey, this statement might skew a little bit more this way. The statement might skew a little bit more that way. So t- to just have someone to be able to flag these things and just be like, well, wait a second, we might want to take a step back, um, I think is so valuable. And so, uh, you know, these, these leagues really have to take a look again at who they're hiring, who are these people in these rooms who are writing these statements? who are signing off on these statements and letting these statements fly. Um, and so that's, that's gonna be the biggest thing because you know, it's always good to do a heat check, in my opinion, and just say like, hey, how does this sound? You know, um, So the NHL, they find themselves in a, in a sticky situation just because of the, the numbers that you were talking about before. I I don't know you know what the numbers are in terms of like PR and you know communications teams, but I, it wouldn't shock me if it wasn't you know if it wasn't very high. So those are things that leagues are going to have to look at. It's like okay, well we gonna we're gonna put out these statements because we want to show that we're doing stuff, but are you, are you, or do you have the right voices in the room to help you with these statements? And oftentimes they don't. And so, you know, that's where you'll see the contention kind of come in where it's like, well, you're addressing things, but you're not necessarily addressing the right things. And you're not saying enough, or you're saying a little too much, or maybe you shouldn't have said that at all. And so it just becomes a giant mess. And, it, it, you know, frankly, it's a performative mess. Um, you know, we've heard that word a lot over, I think the last year. And so, you know, you have to show that you're about something that you're doing something, but it's often not in the greatest ways.
1: Well, it seems to be that, and you were talking about this earlier, that it's not enough to also rethink hiring practices because you could easily have a situation where you have, you know, more black voices in the room, but the voices aren't being heard. And now suddenly it's for aesthetics purposes. Like, well, you know, we have, you know, like, I forgot who it might be someone bleacher report might be Mike Freeman. Someone had pointed out that, you know, on, at the NFL draft, when you're looking at the draft rooms and you're looking at the makeup of ownership, GMs, coaches, there's hardly any, any black people there, but then conversely, if there are are those people the decision makers to your point? You know, it's not just being the person who writes the copy, you know, if you were for, for right. the Raiders in that case, but the person who actually stamps on that and says like, that is appropriate or
0: what the hell are y'all doing? Yeah. It's just, you know, I've worked in so many places and it's like, it's almost, you know, we hear about that glass ceiling or it's like the ceiling is capped like right here. And so certain companies, like once you get to maybe like a director level, there's no one of color above that. And that's a real issue because again, these are people whose voices need to be heard, who have experience, but are just not being afforded the opportunities. And these organizations, these companies are losing out on the the tremendous amounts of perspective that they bring to the table. Um, and so it's just fostering an environment of inclusivity. But again, to your point, like you said, it's not just, you know, to just check off the box, to just have the person in the room to say that, yeah, we have someone in the room, but are you letting them speak? Do they feel empowered enough to speak and to offer their opinions and suggestions? And do Are you actively listening to them and taking what they're saying into consideration? And more often than not, you know, there are people aren't being, that aren't being put in those, those positions to succeed. And again, that's where professional development lies. Again, it's like empowering them, making them feel like, okay, yeah, I have a voice, I can use it and I can be respected for, for my perspective, for my voice. Um, but the, but, you know, like you're saying, the people who are signing off on these decisions, if they all look a certain way, it's not, it's not really helping anyone because they're just kind of just in their tunnel vision. They don't necessarily have that, the value of the perspective to be able to help advance the conversation in meaningful ways.
2: Lakia, if you could go back in time. Uh, to that eighteen to twenty-one year old Lakia on, on the campus of BYU, or even that up and coming uh, next Lakia that wants to work in media, like you mentioned, uh, and and is a black female doesn't know how to navigate those waters. What's a piece of advice you would you would give to that person?
0: I've learned so much over my time. I think the biggest thing is find find a, a great mentor. Um, find someone who's, you know, for me, I have so many black women mentors within the industry that I look up to, and that I can go to for advice. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be someone who's further along in their career. You know, I, I find myself having mentor mentee relationships with people who are essentially on the same level, as me career-wise because we've all had different experiences at different stops along the way that a lot of us, it's like, wait, that happened to you too? And so it's just to, to have those people to lean on, to talk to, to kind of help you navigate, That's to me it has been the biggest help. is someone that I can just talk to and just not necessarily vent, But someone who will listen and say, hey, something like this happened to me. Here's how I was able to navigate. And just having that, those types of relationships helps so much. And also just joining professional organizations. I think sometimes students will wait until they've gotten their first job to join a professional organization like like an NADJ if you can join something like that on the high school level or the college level, just to help start fostering those bonds and making those connections, because as we all know, working in this industry, it's all about networking and just making yourself, you know, visible. Um, So joining professional organizations, you know, within NABJ, I'm a member of the sports task force. So it's like I'm part of an organization within an organization. Um, So that's been super beneficial for me. So that's the biggest thing that I tell my students that I talk to that I mentor, just taking advantage of those resources will help you so much when it comes to just growing um, and learning within your, your career field.
2: Lakia, well said. Great advice as my voice cracks there, because I'm super proud of you. Um, I've known you for years and hired you at MSG because I saw something in you. You're immensely talented, and Bleacher Report is super lucky to have you. Check out all of Lakia's work at Bleacher Report from Untold Stories. Take it there with Taylor Rooks. She's working on something new that she's going to tell us about on Patreon, so you can head over to the Patreon portion of this. Lakia Holmes, thank you so much for being on the program today. We really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me. It's great to catch up with you.
2: That was senior producer at Bleacher Report, uh, one of my oldest friends, Lakia Holmes. Uh, Check out all of Lakia's work over at Bleacher Report, all the shows that she's worked on. You can even check her out at lakiaholmes.com. Some of the work that she's done at NFL Network, uh, Major League Baseball, ESPN, Uh, Bleach Report, like I mentioned. And then also check out the Black Girls Hockey Club, folks. Um, They they are doing such a great job of not only getting uh, groups involved in the sport, you know, at the grassroots level, like Lakia mentioned, but, you know, knowledge transfer of what it is to root for an NHL team, the rules of the game. there's so much going on there. I, I love, the, you know, the articles that have come out about the group and, and what the group has been doing. And I love seeing people that look like myself, that look like Lakia, that are interested in a sport that's always had this stigma of being, you know, white only or predominantly white. So Nick, what'd you, what were some of your takeaways from the conversation with Lakia about representation overall in, in, in these different spaces? You sounded the best. I think um, you know the work for
1: telling the story of Black uh, Black Girls Hockey Club, which is what kind of inspired tonight or today's episode. Um, I think she weaved that story. You know how putting that feature together connects to even her own experience. You know, being a, a Black Mormon attending BYU. Um, all of the weaves together beautifully and just tells us um, just the the value of representation and and the importance of the work that she's doing, you know, and all the awesome stuff that's happening at Bleacher Report.
2: Yeah. Check out Bleacher Report is one of my, one of my favorite sports apps, um, but you can check out all the kids work. Like I mentioned, lakeahomes.com uh, for all of the com work that we do. YouTube.com Nick is pointing down, smashing the subscribe button. Please subscribe, follow us on YouTube for all the video clips of all of our interviews uh, at Patreon. Can we please talk podcast? If you go into our episode notes or series notes, as Nick gives you the dollar dollar bill signs that Randy Moss was pointing to when he wanted to get paid contractually. Straight cash, um, homie. straight cash on me. That's right. You can head to our Patreon page and find out more excerpts from all of our interviews. All this bonus content. You can listen to Lakia uh, talk about what it was like to work for me back at MSG and 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 how I mentored her and and how I Simonized my Halo after that conversation. I got clam um, for talking about baseball correct right you get where we get clapped because nick hates baseball now i just I found out I, uh, I just i'm a lost person without the sport i'm just uh, trying to come
1: back like he was helping me you cut into that you know what you all have to get to patreon to hear how that conversation went down
2: that is true head over to patreon can we please talk podcast uh for our episode as well audio platforms you know them by now the google spotify the apples of the world Continue the conversation with us. Email us at can we please talk podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear your thoughts, not only on this topic, but some of the other topics that we've performed on the show and have had guests on from the show. If you've got a show idea for us, shoot us an email in our episode notes page. You can always find our email. Can we please talk podcast at yahoo.com or follow us on social at can we please talk podcast on IG and TikTok, And at can we please talk on Twitter. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Grateful to be your partner i'm nick saveri i mean i don't even know how to end it like that but that was a good ending we're not going to clip it we've got too much invested in it thank you for that nick i really appreciate it. Always. that was a great way to end Always. it all right Always, brother. All right. have a good one